0: joined by dakota Lasky, we got another red eye recording tonight dak but i am excited to be venturing back into the world of inspired by metroid how you doing
1: i'm doing good man i'm not gonna lie i don't know about you i personally love this time of recording i feel like i just got back from my acting well i guess my acting class is ending soon so i guess it won't end up being convenient but i walk right in i just sit right down and get right to it i still have my shoes on i'm still like i'm still up and ready like i didn't like kind of you know, simmer down for the night, and then I have to power back up to record. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm still, yeah, I feel, that, I'm yeah. still up and ready to go. So, um, I don't know. You know, I'm sure we won't make it a thing, but I'm just saying, it is the red, red eye. But I feel a lot more, you know, energized and refreshed. Maybe not refreshed, but more energized than I would going on a red eye. That said, I'm doing pretty good, man. How you doing?
0: Uh, I'm not doing too bad. I, I have a question for you. Okay. Can you, can you hear any like ruckus on my end? Ruckus. I'm not I'm not sure if you'll be able to hear that or not no, if any of our listeners I, I don't will be think able to so. hear that, but so I I like recording this time too, but the one downfall of recording this time, so my wife and I just went out for dinner and we we don't really do this a lot because we have our our puppy locked up during the day uh while we're at work, but my wife is off on Mondays, so we went out for dinner and we and we locked him up while you know we went out, but now that he's out, we just got back in about like 20 minutes ago. And he's upstairs, like, stampede wrestling, jumping off the couch. And I don't even know what he's doing. So uh, I I like this, too, uh, this time of night recording. And I'm just kind of chuckling, listening to my dog go nuts upstairs. Puts a smile on my face.
1: Yeah, I feel like my cat does a similar thing where he'll come out as I come home. And then, I don't know, a few minutes later. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's happened a couple times when I've recorded the show. He, like, will run like full speed and put his like entire weight and jump at the door and like throw his body at the door in order to open up my bedroom but he doesn't want to come in he just wants the the option he wants the door he to wants be the open. door to be open exactly he wants yeah. the option if he so chooses at some point to enter so he'll just open the door and like full speed and ram into it i'm like what the what would like i, I sometimes i check or like check on my roommate like you okay i end up finding out it's, <laughs> it's my cat like you know bombarding my my door and then running off and, and like just messing with me uh so oh, yeah on that I,
0: I have zora does the same thing all the time i i leave the door open when in my studio just like a, a sliver so that she can you know slink in if she wants to and uh, sometimes whenever i record on stream i swear to god she knows that because like she'll oh, just like know. pop by and her little tails all the way up and she's
1: like hey what's up yeah, they're definitely. They're very interested if you are doing something like they're like, oh, you're interested in this. Well, I'm going to be interested in this. But uh, same thing happens with food, too. <laughs> all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel that. Um, all right. Well, we, uh, we're we going to get to some Axiom Verge 2 here. But actually, um, I guess we should mention, too, that we got the Game Awards here in uh, just a couple days now. Wow. Uh, two days away by the time that you guys will be listening to this. Uh, Metro Dread is, of course, up for Game of the Year, and I believe that it's made it into the second round of fan voting for Fan Game of the Year, too, so you can vote for that over on the Game Awards website. I, did you... Um, we've never really dipped into this here on this show. But have you? Were you kind of following Jeff Keighley's tweet about Activision earlier this week? Or I guess it was yesterday that got a lot of, uh, let's say, backlash. Well, are you kind of up to up to speed on that my, whole situation? From
1: my understanding was, uh, and of course I start off and I kind of forget how it started. But like, didn't he like not say anything about like the recent Activision stuff? And then it was like found out that there's still some, you know, Activision people on the board. So then he was like, Activision won't be involved in the show. And then other people are like, well, you know, if we're gonna crap on him for being involved with Activision, what about? You know, riot and this company and that company and EA and whatnot. Uh, then there was a back and forth with that. So I think I've kind of followed along. I'm. I think that's the gist of it. I don't know. Am I? Am I wrong? Am I off?
0: No, not necessarily. I I saw a uh, a Kotaku article where they were kind of they were quoting Jeff Keighley and he he said like uh, the Game Awards will essentially remain neutral about, like, whether it chooses to, you know, highlight or, or you know, um, have have Activision games up for nominations, basically, and a lot of people thought that that was, like, a really weak response, because, like, a few years ago, he went, like, full-on kamikaze towards Konami for, yeah. for basically not letting uh, Kojima come to the Game Awards right before they had their breakup. Right, right. So, it, it was kind of like this, like, it's like, really? Like, uh, we've seen you take a stand before against studios that were up to some shady business, and, like, I feel like Activision is really, you know, that's a, that's a real ugly story, so he, he did come out later and, and kind of clarify that, um, there would be no Activision presence beyond the, the nominations that it already has, but, uh, yeah, I, I, like, it, it did kind of spiral out, there were some members of Activision still on the board of, of the Game Awards, so, Uh, yeah, I, I feel like I read all that Blizzard and Activision stuff, and it just left a foul taste in my mouth. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily play a lot of their games anyways, so it's not like I was gonna boycott anything like that or whatever, because they're, they're just not, like, the games for me, but, yeah, I don't know, it was, it was kind of a weak response, and, like, I was, I was feeling a little bit guilty, actually, about watching the game awards, even though I was excited to see how Metroid would do. Um, but he did make that tweet saying that, they weren't going to have a presence. Activision wasn't going to have a presence. So I feel a little bit better about it. But yeah, I mean, it just kind of just kind of stuck out to me as a little kind of a a downer on this week. Uh, as excited as I am for the Game Awards.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I do think it is an interesting point how he went to the lengths for like Kojima. But which I mean, I, I'm sure was a very valid cause and whatnot. But then, you know, there's some like legitimate like bad stuff happening in the industry right and that's like such a you know like i could put that in way better words but you know for the for the sake of the show that's how i'll put it um and and you know there's kind of no response in that way i so i I can see where people are coming from in in that manner and i don't know i i would say i don't have a, a fully prepared response into this issue but i you know i can definitely see how um and I agree. I feel like at the end of the day, there you to not have a response is like you know to be neutral, is still having like picking a side, right? Like you're still, of course, you know. Yeah. So I think that is a, a significant thing that should absolutely be spoken about and discussed. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's there's always some kind of there's there, nothing goes smoothly, right? Like, and at the end of the day, I kind of even like you mentioned the game awards are a couple of days away. I was like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> I never anticipate the game awards, so um, but I did I did see some of that talk happen over the weekend and you're right, it did start from a Kotaku article, which I completely forgot about, but once you said it, I was like, Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Not oh, surprised. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, yeah, it's kind of a, a little bit of a, a a dark note or a dank it is, note Yeah. And, like like you said, there's some like evil stuff going on in, in those corporations. Yeah, it's but... like
1: a bad reminder, but at the same time I also think it's important to like make sure this stuff doesn't kinda like fall by the wayside, you know? Like yeah. some like legitimately some people's lives were like completely ruined and, and were treated horribly and so on. And to be like, Oh well but also the game awards, you know, and we're gonna kinda just, you know, have fun with games, like I can understand how people wanna just kinda shut that first part off and just enjoy games, but at the same time I don't think you can separate those two things. You know, you can't have. You can't, uh, I agree. You yeah, can't yeah, have.
0: Yeah, I have a real hard time looking at Call of Duty and being like, "Wow, I really want to go and support this franchise right now."
1: Well, I'm, let's let's be fair, Andy. You're not gonna play Call of Duty regardless of who's making it. But well, I mean, I wasn't. But I mean, you know, the you can't have the games without the people who make them, right? From the you know whoever funds it at the top to the actual people who are doing the work, you know, all the way down the line. So it is important to talk about these issues and not let them be kind of pushed to the wayside for the sake of fanfare or whatever you know with the game awards and all that and i think you know to not have kind of a stance on it and with such a big platform is a pretty big deal so i'm not surprised it kind of went down the way it did but um it is nice that all said to i guess in you know in a, a bright thing for us to see metroid dreads doing well and i feel like you can i feel like you can your conscience will be fine Andy, by watching the game awards maybe your dignity not so much but i think you you should be guilt-free watching the game awards uh, the game
0: awards the last couple of years has been a real drag i'm not gonna lie especially last year because they had the sephiroth reveal in the first five minutes which was the first five minutes that i missed and no, that like, was the great rest of the show was just that was perfect yeah, yeah, i got was to watch awesome. the
1: first five minutes and then i turned it off it was awesome. Yeah, well <laughs> make me watch I was reporting thing. on
0: it and the rest of the show was was awful. And I was I was watching it because I was like, we were waiting to see if there was gonna be Breath of the Wild 2 news. And guess what? Guess what I'm doing in twenty twenty one? Watch at the game All boards right. to see if there's gonna be Breath of the Wild Two news. Do you
1: think there's gonna be Breath of the Wild 2 news and you think there's gonna be Metroid Prime no. H D news? Or Metroid Prime four? What do we get? What I are think Metro
0: Prime HD is more likely. I th- uh, of the Of the three options that you just listed, I think that's. I the I think most it's likely. happening.
1: I'm I'm on the side now of it's happening. Metroid Prime HD, I think, is happening at the Game Awards. I'm calling it right now, right here. Oh, well,
0: we're not going to have to wait long to uh, to find out. But yeah, we're, uh, you know, we we never we haven't really talked about that issue here on the show. But I, I hope that it's obvious that we're you know, we're with uh, all the developers over that, uh, you know, those studios that have that have put up with so much and. And all of that, and uh, you know, I I hope that uh, the Game Awards in the future is a little bit more conscious of this kind of stuff. Um, Cause yeah, it's uh it's it's not a good situation. But what is going to be a good situation? I feel. Like, by the way, actually, before we move on, I should say okay. <laughs> the new computer I bought yes. could play Call of Duty. Wow. But won't. But won't. It w- you know it won't. why? Why not? Because it's mouse and keyboard, which is the worst way to play a video game. We all know that.
1: Oh, this guy! Uh, I can hear your dog barking at just the. <laughs> I was I just about to say. I think my dog
0: agrees with me. No, I don't
1: know. Think I don't think that's agreeing. That you know, you might be misinterpreting your dog's barks here, my guy. But um.
0: Uh, maybe, I'll ask him after the show. Well, come play but, Halo. Uh, come saying. play Halo.
1: The the new campaign's getting some good reviews, which I'm I'm excited about. So oh wait, uh, yeah, we can't actually, play together because there's no co-op at launch. Oh sorry. We can play it. We can both play it separately and then talk about our experience. How about that?
0: I, you know what, I would be willing to. Uh, it's free to play, right?
1: Not well. The multiplayer is not the campaign.
0: Well, I, I'd be willing to download the multiplayer. You know what? I, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get an Xbox. Uh, series Are you actually X. gonna play
1: Halo with me, man? I, yeah, don't believe I mean, it. I'm not
0: gonna get it right away. I'm not gonna get an Xbox right away. And, and truth be told, I'd get a PS5 before well, I get it on Xbox. PC. No, I mean, that's
1: no. No. What do you mean, no? no? What do you mean, no? You can plug a controller in. What's the difference? No. What's the difference? What what is the difference? What is the difference between an Xbox and going on your PC and plugging in a controller, an Xbox controller? What's the difference?
0: Man, I'm on my comfy couch. I got a bowl of Doritos beside me. I've got my controller. You can't have a bowl of Doritos at
1: your desk? You can't have a comfy chair at your desk?
0: It's just not the same. It's not the same deck,
1: I guess. So if you want to sit like a billion feet from your couch and can't see anything, <laughs> one hand on greasy, not greasy, cheesy chips. Anyway, Uh
0: no, they're they're greasy too.
1: They're ca- yeah. uh, are they Doritos aren't greasy. Well, they're cheesy and, I feel and like powdery. I chips or chee-
0: greasy to an extent. No, some more am- cheesy than greasy.
1: I, some are definitely greasy. But not Doritos are not greasy. I take that back and they're not they're not. They're okay. we we are we are burge too. (laughs) Please segue this so we can talk about this game, which I actually was happy to play. uh,
0: Okay, I I don't know that there is a good segue, so I'm just gonna do the hard switch here. So here we go. We are back with my dog is barking, he's like, you know, man, you can't do that. Start the show. Uh, yeah, get on with it. All right, we're doing Inspired by Metroid, um, and I was and am very excited to talk about this. I was looking forward to this game for a long, long, long time. Axiom Verge 2, developed by yes. Tom Happ and uh, releasing earlier this year after what felt like forever. Uh, it, it got delayed by, like, a full calendar year, I want to say. Um, but it finally came out, mm-hmm. and uh, I have... I have some thoughts on it and, you know, I I guess I should preface this with, I think that of every inspired by Metroid title that we've covered so far, uh, Axiom Verge is my favorite. I really, Hmm. really, really like that game and and I like it in a, in a Metroid way, if that makes sense. Like I I really love Hollow Knight and I love Ori, but those, those feel like, like very different and like their own entities to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas like axiom verge felt like a metroid game you know yes um yeah, yeah. but just but just not so like I, it was my favorite inspired by metroid in in that kind of sense so i was really really looking forward to axiom verge 2 and and i have a statement that i want to make right off the top here Dak. but maybe maybe i want to let you go first because actually you were a little bit more your your initial impression when we were talking before the show started wasn't actually what I was expecting. So really, maybe just give us the quick version of of your thoughts so well, far.
1: Well, the thing is, is that you've finished the game, right? Yes. Okay. I I haven't finished the game. I've I want to say I'm halfway through. If 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 I'm not halfway through, then I'd have to be at least a third of the way through the game. I've I've fought a few bosses and gotten to a few areas. I feel like I'm pretty far into the game. Um. But I'll admit that I haven't gotten to the part of the game where I know is like really crazy, or I would assume is crazy because I haven't really spoiled myself. And if you can feel free to spoil because I don't. I don't care. I'll probably forget. Um, but like with Axiom Verge, for example, it's like pretty crazy right off the bat. I think this game kind of eases you into the craziness a little bit. And I'm still kind of. I could be wrong. Maybe the rest of the game is pretty tame too. Um, but yeah, I actually really enjoyed this game. Are so far I am enjoying it a lot from what I've played. Um, you're right, it does feel like a Metroid game. And I think that's kind of why I'm enjoying it a lot, because I wasn't sure after I played Metroid Dread, I'm like, hmm, do I just like Metroid games, or do I actually like Metroidvania games? Like, am I a fan of the genre, or am I just a fan of this story, this franchise? And maybe that's why, you know, Dread let me down a lot, or, you know, because it had a lot of meaning to me in terms of it specifically being Metroid, and not just necessarily being the gameplay. So when I played this game, I was like... You know, am I going to enjoy this, or am I just be like, eh, maybe it's just Metro that does it for me. And I actually really found myself, like, getting hooked on the gameplay, because it just felt like that kind of simple Metroid formula, but then built in the natural way that you would expect. But I really like the little differences that were thrown in from a normal Metroid game, and how the the game progresses in the context of the story, and the new character that you're, or the character you're working with. I guess it is a new character, too. Um, new for me, and new for the series, technically. Um... It's new for everyone, but yeah, I mean, I think the game is fun. I am enjoying it a lot. I the the music is incredible. <laughs> I love the music. Um, the areas are really cool. I like the setup of the story. I, I have some gripes with the, how the story is told, though, which I feel like I had similar gripes from the original game. Um, but the gameplay I think is really clean. Like it's very well executed. Uh, over like I don't I don't have any gripes about the gameplay so far. And and in fact, one thing I popped off for. Was there's an area at the beginning near near the beginning of the game where like you go into water for like a brief moment. I'm like, oh no, slow water gameplay. And then like almost immediately you get like the upgrade to move normally in water. I was like, oh, this game gets me. This is I'm I'm enjoying <laughs> this. This is good. Um. So yeah, you know I'm I I'm actually having a lot of fun with the game. And I remember. You know, I've been hooked on Destiny for a bunch lately, and I've been like, oh, any game make that pulls me away from Destiny is I don't want to play it. And I was even like groaning about it, like, oh, I don't really want to play it. And I just kind of was like, you know, I'm gonna play it, obviously, and jumped in and found myself being like, damn, I don't have enough time to finish this now before the show. I'm really enjoying this, and I want to keep playing it and get to the end. So yeah, I'm, I, it's a lot of fun. First impression.
0: Okay. Yeah, I uh, I was surprised to hear you say that, but I think that. Maybe I shouldn't have been, because I, I think it's fair to say I, I like Axiom Verge, the first game, a lot more than you do. Because um, I, I think that you liked it, but I, I like really liked it, and I was really, really looking forward to Axiom Verge, too. And and I agree with you. I think that the game is really, really fun. However, the first thing that I wrote down when I, I was kind of using our definitive uh, ranking criteria from the Metroid games when I was looking at this and i was looking at Axiom verge 2 compared to Axiom verge 1 and and the first thing i wrote down was like still a fun game worse than Axiom verge 1 in every conceivable way really and I, and i think i think that that is how i feel and and that sounds it sounds really harsh and like to an extent it it is but like if i thought that like Axiom verge 1 was like a bunch of, of 9 or 8 out of 10s, then I think that Axiom Verge 2 is like a bunch of 8 to 7 out of 10s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I, I just, I don't think it reaches the same level. Um. But, you know, like, on the other hand, uh, Tom Happ, when he was making this game, he said a bunch of times over and over again that, like, uh, it would have been really easy for me to do, like, a, a just a new map, for Axiom Verge 2, but he wanted to go a different route, and, and I really respect that, because this is, you know, the gameplay is similar, but, but a lot different than Axiom Verge 1, so I do respect him for doing that. I'm not sure that it landed all of the time, which we'll get into, but, um, I I do respect the effort, and I, and it's kind of like a lose-lose situation, because I'm kind of wondering to myself, like, all right, well, if he had just kind of made a new map and kept the gameplay mostly the same, you're playing as Trace, you've got the guns, and, you know, you have kind of the same similar style bosses, like, would it be, you know, would it be better than Axiom Verge 1 then? I, I don't think it would be. So I I kind of, I, I do respect him for taking that different approach for it, if that makes sense. So I, I'm kind of dumping on it, but trying to build it up at the same time.
1: You know, I, I mean, I don't remember, like, because I only really played uh, Axiom Verge you know, really once for the show and maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, I re- I feel like I'm enjoying this game more than I enjoyed that game when I first played it. Because from what I remember of Axiom Verge, it was like weapons the game. Like It just was like a 2D, like Metroidvania kind of game. But like you had all these crazy guns and weapons, right? And like that was kind of the the hook, I guess, where just you had all these weapons that did like had crazy effects and had like different properties and all that. And in this game, I felt like I had a lot more, like, like less weapons, I guess, but a lot more in terms of, like, things I could do with my character and more, like, freedom on the map itself, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, and maybe I'm just misremembering how Axiom Verge feels, but I never felt like I had, like, the freedom and kind of crisp game clay that I feel like I have from Axiom Verge 2 whereas Axiom Verge 2 doesn't have like the crazy or maybe I haven't gotten to that part of the game yet but doesn't have like all the the crazy w- repertoire of like obscure and abstract weapons that Ax- Axiom Verge has. So I don't know. I think how the game evolved feels really good for a Metroid game and or like a Metroidvania game. It might not like scratch that same itch that the first game did, but I'm having I'm still having a lot of fun with it in comparison.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's fair. Like, the the first game... I thought that the first game was, like, a, a nice mix of combat and um, exploration. And I guess... I, I have a couple different areas I want to talk about in this game, but I guess we'll just start with the gameplay here. I think that the the scale totally tipped to the exploration side versus the combat side, which is actually funny because usually I feel like I would like that. But, like, the combat in this game is is just, like, so dreadful... I feel like that it kind of, like, for example, like, every single boss that you fight, first of all, there basically are no bosses. I think that there's, like, three bosses in this game, but, like, you can't lose. You just respawn, you respawn, you respawn. So, like, there's no, there's no challenge, and because there's no challenge, there's no reward for completing it. And and I feel like that's a problem that kind of permeates throughout the entire experience, because, like... You know, some of the some of the boss battles I thought in Axiom Verge 1 were were very creative and very like you know, they were just fun, good old fashioned, like Metroid boss battle. Like you had that one boss that was basically Craig. I had a lot of fun with that. where uh, whereas this one, like they, they look spectacular, but they're not you know, there there's nothing to them really. It's just uh, you can die as many times as you want. And I feel like I, I kind of do miss um, the weapon variety from Axiom Verge 1, and, um, you know, you didn't use a lot of the guns that you ended up getting, I think that I used, like, three of those guns on the regular, but it was cool to have the options, where, whereas this game, I feel like you, you have a pickaxe, which is kind of just, like, <laughs> eh, you have a boomerang, and it's just kind of, like, eh, these are, these are okay, like, you, you eventually can, like, get like kind of a cool sword and you can, you know, get a better boomerang and stuff like that. But I I, I guess I just kind of missed like the, uh, the gun gameplay or like, I never, I never got like what I was just like, all right, this sword is badass. Like I, I finally, like now I've got the, you know, the ultimate weapon in this game. I I don't think that it ever quite reaches that. So I, I was left a little bit wanting with, uh, with the way that combat, was implemented in this game
1: see now i'm kind of thrown off i have no idea how far i am to the game because i feel like i've fought four bosses in the game and i have not and i'm like halfway through it right so i would assume there's more than four because i've fought four bosses and i'm not done with the game so maybe you just missed some but there is kind of like a a thing in this game where like the bosses are kind of just out on the field on the map and they don't have like like you can just free roam around them but i kind of like that i i I liked how it wasn't like a standard. All right, you walk into this room and it's the boss room, and it does a little animation, and then you fight it. Like, in this game is very video gamey in other ways, but in that way, it didn't feel. It felt more natural. Like the the bosses are just kind of like organically in the area, and you can go around them if you want. Like, there's one boss in the beginning that uh, the big like I don't know snake boss or whatever that you it follows you through like those green tunnels. Um, and you knock off the spikes to like deal damage to it. Like first you just kind of like avoid, I think almost a, a couple of the, boi- the boss at the beginning, I kind of avoided at first and went around them until I felt I was ready to take them on. And I, I thought those bosses are really cool. Like they weren't traditional bosses, but they were, they were fun because I felt like my options were limited. So I had to, you know, be smarter and, and not get hit by stuff. And the hacking mechanic is really cool. I think that really adds some depth to the boss fights and fights in general, because, you, you can go and kind of, like, brute force it and just attack stuff. Or you can, you know, try to get in close, get the hack off, and then, you know, you spend your points how you want to, to depending on how you want to fight a boss. Like, there's one of them. Um, I don't know. It's, like, a one of the early bosses. It was, like, a cow with, like, wings and whatnot, like a big ship drone-looking thing. And it was cool, I thought, because you could either... Um, hack its like different projectiles to slow them down and like avoid them. and you could also hack its guns so that way they always point down instead of being able to aim at you. And that would take a good amount of points. And then another strategy I just tried was just overloading its uh, cannons and just having a deal you know dealing it a like mad damage at the beginning, but then having to deal with all its weaponry as it was at low health. So like you could like mm-hmm. go into it in different ways. and I thought that was really fun. Because that also tied into how you built your character with the different uh, you know, skill points. You could build a character that was maybe high in um, you know, hack radius and, and health and stuff. So you'd get the hacks off easier. And then you wouldn't have to go in so deep to, to take down a boss as quickly. So stuff like that I think all really played. Like those systems played together really nicely. And made up for like, oh, I just have a weapon that does something really cool. It's all in one package and I use that. Uh, you kind of had to use the different things about your character and the environment and the skill system and the hack system and all that together in different combinations to approach, uh, you know, encounters differently, which I thought was really fun.
0: Um, I, I don't disagree, but I'm, I'm just, I did a quick look here. So we got 11 bosses in Axiom Verge one, and we got five bosses in Axiom Verge two really? and two of them are optional. So like, I was left a little bit wanting, but I I do think that you brought up something which I think that this game does really well, which is expanding on the hacking of last game. Last game, you had, like, the glitch gun, which could change the properties of different enemies. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really cool mechanic because it could influence the world as well. But in this game, they actually take it to to, like, the next level. And, like, you can, you know, you can hack different enemies with different ways depending on how much... I guess I guess depending on what your hacking level is, for lack of a better word, you can upgrade your hacking. I think they call it uh, physio, or something like that in this game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can basically upgrade your hacking power, and you can convert different enemies to, like you said, either go, either shoot you slower, or you know, some of them you can actually get to like overheat and explode on themselves, which is very satisfying. So that's that's probably the most satisfying thing about combat. But then even then, um, I was like I, I don't know, I, I guess I felt like it just didn't had like a lot of momentum because even when you were hacking, you kinda had to stop and like hack and uh you know the then the boss would change properties. So I thought the combat was was an area that was a little bit weak in this game. And you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to talk about because I actually used this word like a ton when I was um when I was writing down my thoughts. For Axiom Verge 2. Like, you mentioned the word video gamey, And, like... Man. like it, it really... I think that the... They... Tom Hap changed the graphical presentation... Like, slightly. For the main world from Axiom Verge 1 to Axiom Verge 2. Where, like... Axiom Verge 2, to me, seems a little bit more... Like... Pixelated. But, like, bigger pixels. So, like... Mm-hmm. It doesn't look I- as sharp as Axiom Verge 1. But then... When you go into the breach, it like it looks like an NES game a lot of the times, and it's like yeah. very, it's very like video gamey. I don't know how else to describe it, and and that can be fine, like I, I don't mind that at all really. But like it kind of, there are points where it just like it kind of beats you over your head, and like when you're trying to tell this cool story about this alien planet and all these like giant robots, and then you're in like this NES style world. It to me it was just kind of like. Uh, me for a loop a little bit I um, and, and I'm not necessarily you know poo-pooing on that because I thought that the breach was really cool as we'll talk about here but the aesthetic of it was a little bit yeah like video gamey it, it was very even the opening music when you open the menu it's like this yeah triumphant theme that you would expect to hear on like an arcade back in 1986
1: It's definitely one of those things where it's, like, a retro game that's, like, always in your face. Like, hey, you're playing a retro game. Uh, It's a retro game. Yeah. You know, we're doing the retro game thing. And it's, like, constantly, yeah, like, beating you over the head with it. Which, you know, I'll forgive, like, the, the menu because that's kind of, like, all right. Like, at the end of the day, you are playing a video game. So, if it's, like, on the menu, that's fine. But, like, when you're in the game itself... Even when you're not in the breach yet, there are like sound effects and certain like tracks that just feel so like chip and it just kind of it's like very reminder like it it kind of kills some of the immersion. Uh, the breach the breach itself being very like you know eight bitty and whatnot like that I thought was a cool uh, like aesthetic choice and just like a nice style a stylistic kind of choice for the game because it's already kind of committed to being video gamey, so I guess that was fine. But one thing that really took me out, and we can kind of, I guess, maybe go into this a bit more later, but I, I the the presentation of the story felt very ga- video gamey to me as well. Like, especially towards the beginning where it just didn't feel like anything had any weight to it. I, I want to say I had this same issue with Axiom Verge 1 where a very, did, a, yeah. a very dire situation is happening and everyone's, like, talking so nonchalantly. Like... Almost as if they're aware that it that it's a video game that they know the stakes aren't high because it's like well, it's not real, right? Like there's one uh, there's one uh, a couple things of dialogue actually with a character called I think Kyla or Kilo or whatever that you meet in that mountain area towards the beginning of the game and like um, where you meet the guy who's working on the portal or something, right? And you have like you go like you go and talk to the portal guy whatever, it's Warren and he's like, hey, what's up? I'm the site manager. I'm like, dude, you're in like another dimension. That you like fell through a portal from Antarctica into this like weird space and all these drones are going crazy and someone comes up to you and you're like, hey, what's up? I'm the site manager. Like you work at like Home Depot. Like what? Like, what is the where's the where are the stakes? Where's the urgency? You know, and then you go talk to the person Kira outside and she's like, yeah, it's it's you know, it's hard being lonely out here as as they like stand on this like like just chilling. I'm like, you're this is a crazy situation. Like no one's reacting like this is crazy. What's happening? The same thing happened in the first game, I think, where, like, the main guy, like, had, was so nonchalant as he was, rea- like, had no reaction to, like, anything around him. And it just makes it so, I, like, I don't need to be melodramatic, but I need some kind of, like, visceral or a reaction sometimes or, like, some kind of, like, something to make it feel like and really sell that this is, like, a dire situation that they're in. Like, she goes up and talks to this Cure person. They're like, yeah, it sucks being lonely out here. And the main character, um, what's her name? Indra, indra indra right yeah uh which I, I i hate that i forgot because that's one of the character's names from the 100 and that's why when i uh saw this character's name was indra i was like oh yeah i know that name but anyway uh yeah indra responds. She's like well you know it's important to stay you know be able to show you're independent out here i'm like what is, what is this like this isn't therapy this is a crazy situation you are in another dimension like we, the conversations you, be, you should be having should not be normal conversations they should be different there should be some weight to them and every character is talking so nonchalantly it like takes me out because i'm like oh okay like it's i don't know how to emote or react because the tone isn't being set i don't know what the tone is supposed to be i need to be told that tell me the story and show me the story and the tone is so inconsistent It, it takes me out of it
0: uh that's fair i the story like it's just it's so weird um, I, I, think it's even more weird than the first game where like, for me, I really enjoyed Axiom Verge one for the gameplays very specifically, but like, I thought that the story was cool enough. And like, you had the, you know, the story was simple enough. You had trace and you were trying to stop this, this dark, uh, Athetose guy. And you find out at the end of the game that trace may or may not in fact become Athetos and like you're in this other world. Whereas I feel like there's a lot more parts going on in this game. You're playing as Indra She's looking for her daughter, but they don't really sell you on that relationship. Yeah. But, I mean, you know what, fine. She she's looking for her daughter, and like that's that's how we get there. But then, like, you I, I don't think that you literally hear anything from her daughter. I I I could be wrong, but like I, I feel like they don't really build up that relationship very much. Most of the optional text that you find in this game highlights kind of the the history and the war between the arms and, and the the other species on the planet. And a lot of it's just kind of like the same sci-fi mumbo-jumbo from the first game, but like even more complicated, Um, Mm -hmm. where like, I I feel like they probably could have sold that, you know, relationship between Indra and her daughter a little bit more. And to your point, like, she dies, like, instantly in the game, like, she's she's dead. Okay. And then, furthermore, like, I mean, she drowns in the opening scene in the game, so like, and she kind of no-sells it. She's just like, all right, well, I'm in another dimension. I thought I died, but... But then further in the game, she dies again and she's stuck in the body of a drone after her arm turns on her and, and she doesn't really sell that either, so yeah, it was Yeah, you know no the, selling the story it. was you need, to,
1: you need to sell the audience on what's happening. If the character like you can't just have the characters say the lines. They gotta have some Yeah, you know, ebb and flow to it. Yeah, the the, the daughter thing I thought was weird too because Maybe I forgot or my, I was misunderstanding, but my understanding was that she went to Antarctica because her, um, the people that she, like her company was doing research down there and they all disappeared, right? Like, isn't that why she went down there originally? I thought that's the original reason she went down there. And then at the end of that scroll, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, her daughter's missing. <laughs> and like it's, it comes like it's so abruptly thrown in there. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's oh, whatever. um. But I did like the setup of the story. I thought that was interesting because correct me if I'm wrong, the, the protagonist Maxime Verge is just some guy, right? Like he's just a dude.
0: Well, when we meet when him, we, he's some guy. Right, yeah. But yeah it's yeah. heavily implied that he turns into the villain of that game, yes. Atos. Yeah,
1: but the the setup of the game is, you know, he's just some dude. Um I thought it was interesting in this game how it's not just some person, it was like the CEO of a company and like I thought that kind I thought that was interesting because that's normally not like a tropey kind of character, right? Like that's not a very underdoggy kind of root for kind of character. That's a character you usually don't root for. So I thought that was interesting kind of, you know, having this character go down there and constantly being reminded through like those journal entries, like, Oh, Hey, by the way, like this CEO of this company, like made record profits and laid off all these people and this person died and whatever, and all this stuff and all this bad yeah, stuff. You know, I,
0: I think you're right. Like, they they actually don't really go out of your way to to encourage you to root for Indra. No, they which, don't.
1: Which I which is neat, yeah. but
0: maybe kind of a problem as well. I
1: I can see, I can understand that, but I thought it I, I thought it was an interesting way to kind of you know tell a story, I guess, because it's not a character you would expect, and it, it's a character that immediately uh, like faces conflict. Right, they're not just some person, and you have to come up with like some convoluted way to like. Have them be important or whatever, right? Like they already come into the story with some kind of importance, some kind of limitations, and some expectations, and then those change and are, are challenged immediately. So I thought that was a really cool thing. And I, because when I, the game started immediately, I was like, "Oh, it's a CEO. I'm gonna hate this person." But then, like, I didn't necessarily hate this person, though. At the same time, um, I did. I, I was kind of curious as to how they would make her kind of, I guess, relatable. Right. And I I would say for the most part, they do a good job of or maybe not relatable, but somewhat sympathetic. And I also think it's it works to the advantage of like how the game introduces the different like gadgets you get and whatnot. Because when you like first start the game out, I mean, your upgrades are like climb this wall. Now you can, throw, you know, like very basic stuff. Yeah, you can jump higher. And I think the reason why, like, that doesn't really work for me in, like, Metroid Dread or, like, Metroid games anymore, because, like, Samus is such, like, a well-defined character, and she's innately very strong, right? Like, when you play Metroid Prime, you know, that game's great, but, like, you feel like you should be able to do more. You know, like, she's very slow and tanky. But then, like, in Dread, they've really, you know, she's grown into that character that we've expected, right? Like, the Samus we expect. Because she's a crazy space warrior with, you know, modified DNA, whatever, and, like, a crazy power suit. She should be able to, to at least slide, you know? Like, she should be able to do a lot of acrobatic stuff. Whereas, this person is just a, you know, not a regular person uh, socially, but physically is just a regular person starting out, right? Maybe later in the story that's not true. But, um... The setup of the game is just a regular person, so to be able to get the ability to climb a wall, you know, free-handed, free right, is a, a pretty big thing, right, um, for the average person to do. So I think that kind of helped uh, alleviate some of my, normally, my issues with that kind of stuff. In this case, I didn't have the same expectations because they introduced a character that was both interesting but also you know, it would make sense, you know, authentically for them to start out with those kind of lower-level, simpler kind of abilities because they're just an average person. So, um, I, I like that kind of setup of the game. I, I'm that's part of why I think I want to keep seeing how it goes because so far it's it's kind of aside from some presentation things and the lack of reaction in some ways. I'm interested in the story so far.
0: Yeah, I, I think that this game has like a a cool story except for the daughter part. I I thought that that was kind of a little bit lame, but like when you actually, when you get Indra and you meet these arms and like you, you kind of learn of all the the different arms or whatever that were in this war against the machines or whatever, it is kind of an interesting story, but I do, I feel like it's not told in a, in a way that is very like digestible. It's kind of like that scene in the matrix reloaded where you meet the guy in the, with all the TVs around him. And he's telling you, like, about the history of the Matrix. And, like, it's really cool what he's saying. But the way that he delivers it is you're just like, what is he saying? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like that way with this story, too. And, like, um, I-, I feel like there's there is a time when, like, you want to be cryptic with your story. And then there's a time where, like, you just, like, say, like, this, this is what's going on. And I feel like Axiom Verge doesn't always nail that kind of balance very well. And that was true of the first game, I think, as well. It's also heavily implied, by the way, that Indra is Ophelia from Axiom Verge One, who is the uh, uh, one of the like one of the robots on the planet that uh, that you fight. So there you go.
1: Well, look at that, because I did not make that connection.
0: <laughs> I, I didn't either, but uh, there we go. Um, okay, I want to I want to talk about. Um, I want to talk about the Breach, because I thought that this is really cool. And and aside, you know, my gripes aside from kind of the NES-style vibe about the Breach, I thought the Breach, as a concept, was very awesome. And to anyone that has not played Axiom Verge 2, the Breach is basically like a separate world inside of Axiom Verge 2. It actually reminded me a lot of um, the Dark World from The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. Or, or any of those games that kind of have that two world kind of kind of gimmick to it where like mm-hmm. you can go to another world but it's slightly different. Um, so essentially when you go to the breach you're you're playing as your drone and you you're kind of navigating and the game gives you some really cool items um, in, in ways to manipulate the breach because you start off having to go to designated portals and, and there's only one way in one way out and then you get an item that kind of lets you go, out of the breach wherever you want, but not into the breach. And then you get an item that lets you actually attract the portal to where you're standing. And then you just get the ability to, you know, free flow and, and, and instantly switch throughout the breach. Oh, so I, I thought that this was like very cool. Uh, it led to like a lot of like great puzzles. It led to a lot of good exploration, kind of gave the game a little bit more legs in terms of completing the map, everything like that. So I, I really like this, uh, this gimmick. I, I, I do have a critique, which we'll get to in a second here, but uh, yeah, I, I thought that this was like a, a really, a very, actually, Zelda kind of mechanic to have in this game.
1: I thought it was really cool, and it was a nice extension of the drone ability, which I also think is really cool, and won me over a bit, so yeah, I this is like, well, I, first of all, I'm very much looking forward to being able to, to go in and out of the Breach <laughs> Whenever I want, <laughs> that's going to be cool when I get to that point. But I think, even like from in the get go, having that like additional like usage for the drone, besides just like being able to go into tight places in, you know, the quote unquote real world or actual world, whatever. But then also having access to the breach, like gave that a lot more utility. And yeah, I mean, overall, I thought it was a nice, cool, like even like the boss battles in. in the breach at least the one i did was like a pretty nice little fun sub boss um the robo i think it was called and you know it, it it kind of it forced you to play a little bit different because you don't have all of your tools with you you have uh, eventually you get like that uh, but and this is going more into the drone too that that cool grapple hook that's hype I'm, i love that but yeah i think that mechanic of like okay you gotta you know smartly Navigate through the breach and then come out somewhere on the other side in the active world and and try to get somewhere so you can open up a place for Indra to get to. All of that I think really flowed together. Again, like one of the things this game does really well is is integrating all these different systems together and making them work really f- like well in a fun manner and in a smooth manner. So this was another one of those extensions that was a lot of fun and I was not sure how I'd feel about like oh like one of the big draws of this game is you get a drone, but it actually is like a lot more than it seems, and this was one of the ways they they made it feel more than just like, okay, it's a, a different kind of morph ball or whatever.
0: Uh, before we talk about the drone, do you have that item yet that lets you see, like, the Breach in the real world? You, you press down... No, um, uh, I guess I don't, know. You know, okay. When you get that item, be, be on the lookout, because there are certain rooms that you can press down on the button and it'll show you the Breach, but you'll see blocks and it's a passcode and if you input that passcode you'll open up different parts of the map i loved Ooh. that mechanic i thought it was so cool and like I'm, I'm i'm a total scrub because i was playing this game i'm like like 10 hours in and finally i'm just like man what do all these arrows mean maybe i should try putting them in and i did and like lo and behold it opened up so i was like oh my god now i gotta go back and like find every single area that, uh, you know, has passcodes that I just skip past, so, don't do what I did, be on the lookout for that, very cool, but, uh, yeah, let's talk about the drone, that, w- that was my complaint, is that, uh, I, I do, I did like playing as the drone, but by the end of the game, I feel like half of the game you play as the drone, because as you power up your drone, and you get more utility with, with its jumping, with its grappling, like, I was basically just playing as the drone in the real world as well because it's faster. It has the hook. It can do a lot more stuff. So, like, I, you know, there was very little reason for me to play as Indra versus playing as the drone, which, like, you know, is was okay. But uh, again, the the combat and whatever is is fairly limited for what you can do with the drone. Although you do actually get. Uh, basically it's like a screw attack that once you, once you grapple something and you launch yourself up, you start like screw attacking everything in your way. That's kind of cool, but it's not super useful in a, you know, a battle where you're kind of facing something head on. But, um, yeah, like, I guess I was, uh, I was a little bit surprised how much like you, you ended up playing as the drone in this game. You you mentioned the morph ball earlier. It would be like playing a game where... A Metroid game where you're playing as the Morph Ball, let's say 70% of the game? It, it was a lot.
1: Really, that much? I feel like I mean maybe I haven't gotten back uh, the mean, game. Maybe, I feel like it's not that Maybe at much. least fifty. How about that? Mm, maybe. I, it is very useful. I guess I, I just saw it as like a literal just extension of her character and not like, alright, I'm not playing as Indra. Like I, I still feel like I'm playing as Indra just you know, in the same way that I feel like I'm still playing as Samus when I go into the Morph Ball. It's just I'm not in bipedal mode or whatever. But yeah, I guess I can, you know, if the game was 50% Morph Ball, I guess that would change my opinion maybe. But I, I never felt like it was that much. But at the same time, you know, you give me a grapple and I'll spend all my time grappling around. I have no no problem with that. I Maybe they could have paced out a bit better. But I, I, liked, I personally like the drone because... One thing I like it over the Morph Ball is that it doesn't take Indra with you. So like uh, you can go somewhere and then, oh, I'm done. Uh, you know, Provided you're able to in the circumstance, you can just warp right back. You don't have to go all the way back through as the drone and go back to her body. You just like wake up back as Indra or whatever. That I thought was, was great because then you could use that drone and kind of send it out wherever you needed it to. And then use that and kind of... Uh, Puzzles-wise, you know, go back to Indra, move her around, get her through barriers, and then go back to the drone, etc. Stuff like that was, I thought, you know, well executed and fun because the drone again has that kind of limitation for you. You can't just you can't just outright fight stuff, so you have to use your hack, use your grapple, and all that, and makes you you know think a little bit. And I, there were even times I think when I was playing with a drone, I was just like trying to race away from stuff, like oh, I'll just avoid this and uh it's well
0: that's pretty much what
1: i mean yeah. like
0: it, when when you go play the game like the drone is faster the drone has a, a better jump so like and combined with the fact that like you know most of the the big enemies or like the bosses you can just not fight if you choose to it's just kind of like i think i'll just stay as the drone and just like jump over this dude and <laughs> just continue on my way i mean i guess um, but and, and like I, i'm yeah. actually i'm not complaining about the the drone i guess i'm just surprised. Like how much of the game you play as the drone
1: yeah maybe i just haven't gotten to that part i'm like oh all right i get it i'm the drone guy Uh, maybe it should have been a game about the drone and how they can become a ceo of a major company as their as their like upgrade right like that might be an interesting game
0: well maybe maybe that's axiom verge three who knows where this series is going um let's talk about uh actually really quickly i guess we should touch on two this game has a skill tree, which I do not believe that Axiom Verge 1 has, and so that was kind of cool. I like being able to kind of pick and choose your, your upgrades, although very quickly, not to keep beating on this dead horse, but, like, I found that <laughs> I didn't care about upgrading combat at all, so I was upgrading my hacking abilities, I was upgrading my drone, uh, basically everything but combat. So, I, I will say that the, the idea was cool, but the, I, I would have liked to see maybe a little bit more i don't know a little bit more option or a little bit more branches i guess on this tree but i i hope that it is here to stay because i i do enjoy me a good skill tree
1: i guess maybe just they they should have maybe made the combat a bit more required and more of a necessity so that way you would feel like you needed to upgrade your combat more because i i get what you're saying but at the same time like when i was approaching combat like I was upgrading some of my weapons, I guess, after I was upgrading my hack range and my health. Because I'm a, I'm a masher and I just, I'll take damage. Like, I play tank class in a lot of games. So like, I know I'm going to get hit. So I, I always try to upgrade my health as much as possible. And my, you know, my, my active, my effective range. So I don't have to get, you know, too close if I don't need to. So that was like my personal thing. But then I could totally see people who would just max out their combat and be able, if they're just good enough, they're just going to. One-shot everything and not get touched so they don't have to worry about putting into health or hack range or, you know, rejuvenation of stuff or whatever it is. So I, I still think there is some freedom and, and, uh, and in, like I guess, a motivation or an incentive to utilize those different options rather than just kind of picking one or the other. Because, you know, yeah, you could avoid combat a lot of the times, but there are definitely times in this game where I could not avoid combat. Like, I was getting hunted down and chased. At the very least, I had to get close and try to hack it to slow it down. At that point, I might as well fight the thing. So, I, I feel like I didn't have that same sense of I can avoid everything so far. Because there are times where both I couldn't and also other times where I did want to fight the thing that was there. Especially when I felt like I had the you know enough power-ups or I had gotten enough of those flasks or whatever they are. So... Mm -hmm. um i think there was some room for freedom and it allowed you know allowed you to play the game that you wanted to play and how you wanted to play it and i played it a little differently and i'm sure other people have played it a little differently based on their options so i think that that makes a successful system
0: uh yeah i hope it comes back i I really do i i I, like i said i love me a good skill tree um and i was loving me the world of axiom verge um but very different again from axiom verge one we're like that felt very, like, alien, and this one feels a little bit more grounded in a world that, like, could be, I think it was, like, a little bit more realistic, like, you had, like, you know, some outdoor area, like, you had, um, uh, Lake Amagi, which I thought was a fantastic area, but, you know, particularly because, like you said, you can, you know, move through water freely fairly quickly, uh, but, like, I thought that all the areas were actually, like, really cool, there's the, uh, there's the area in the lower map, uh, uh, Giguna, I I think it's called. I'm I'm looking up the names right now. That was a really spectacular area. Like just the, the Antarctica itself, the glacier. Yeah. It felt like, it felt very cool to me. And like, you know, like I said, it kind of like, it could be real, which I think was very important when you balance that against the very video gamey world of the breach. So I really liked all the different areas in this game. I, I thought that they, even the names actually weren't as, like, outrageous as the first game, which I appreciated. And I'm sure you did as well. Um, everything kind of had that Metroid Prime, like, something, something, like the uh, the Anun- Anuna Gorge or, like, uh, Uram Valley or, like, nothing was, like, a ridiculous name. So I, I thought that, that was cool. Um, I liked the way that the map was constructed. You know, retroactively, actually, it's a lot like Metroid Dread where, like, you have the the box that highlights the general area but then you have your your individual topography inside of it so uh, I, I thought that that was was pretty neat although I would have I would have liked a little bit more help kind of trying to find out where all the last expansions and, and upgrades and stuff were the game kind of points you in the right direction with the compass but I, I feel like I just like having that kind of detailed on the map uh, particularly once you've beat the game like I always go for hundred percent completion in these games, and and this game doesn't really do a, a fantastic job of that. So that's my one critique about the map. But uh, yeah, other than that, I think the world was like was very cool.
1: Before I give my comments on the world, what do you think about the compass? And that being in the game,
0: uh, I I thought the compass kind of sucked to be honest. Like it was supposed to point you to where like you were supposed to go, but I just I found myself never using it and like. I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't like overly a compass fan. I don't know about you.
1: I would say it was it was not something I I, mean, I don't know if I was a, a, I mean I'm a compass fan in general. I like compasses. I think it's a great invention. Um <laughs> great if you're lost in the woods, yeah. You know, a technical marvel, if you will, an engineering marvel, something that I wouldn't have been able to come up with back in the day. So not going to slander it or anything. I don't know if I'm a compass fan. But I will say that there were times when I've been playing where I didn't know what to do or where to go. Or I just kind of glanced at it. I'm like, oh, okay, that's helpful info. Something like that, right? Like, not necessary, but it was supplemental. But I was curious how you felt about that. Now, the world, I will say, yes, the word you used was grounded. That I liked a lot. Because in Axiom Verge, it's like, I, I feel like it's just so, it was just too much at times. It was like trying, it was trying so much. There's so much happening. Every frame was so dense. So much going on, and like some crazy designs, and like some of it was like grotesque looking. I was like, ah, oh. like it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of, it goes into a really crazy like sci-fi world. Whereas this one, it does kind of get a little crazy-ish, I guess, at times, but it does feel a lot more grounded. It feels more like a real place, I guess. And I think that helped. I wish they kind of leaned into that more. I wish the story was like the characters are more aware of that and were like. uh... Like, hmm, this place is so similar to, like, you know, Antarctica is similar to this place I'm at, the glacier. You know what I'm saying? So, like, stuff like that. Like, I feel like there was never that, like, kind of acknowledgement, maybe. But aside from that, I did very much like how you had some really awesome natural environments. You know, a massive mountain and and the the lake, like you mentioned. Like, that was – I loved, the, like, the temple Inside, as you're exploring through like the the depths of the lake, very cool. Um Yeah, it felt like a real kind of place, and that that I appreciated, especially like when the game was already feeling in some ways that you know very video gamey in ways.
0: Mm-hmm. That yeah.
1: was a nice change of pace because you know the characters felt like for the most part real people. They didn't feel crazy extravagant or like too tropey or cliche to me, and the world didn't either. So. I thought that was very welcome because I do remember from Axiom Verge there was just some I mean, to be fair, very memorable and iconic almost in some ways and like the visuals in Axiom Verge. I mean that like one shot with like the one boss or character, like that big head face thing, like you know the one I'm talking about. So cool. You know oh, yeah. I'm so cool. About.
0: yeah. I, I think that's Ophelia actually,
1: aka oh, wow.
0: Indra okay. from this well, game, but I could be look wrong. At that. But, I could be well, wrong.
1: Like stuff like that is I don't know if this game has something like that. Like those that that really just Uh
0: yeah, it it does. It has the um it has another oh god, I there's I can't that remember one the statue. Name,
1: he's he's on the box art and he's at the bottom of the of the um canyon. Okay, maybe I haven't I know there was that one Lamasa statue. I'm like, Oh, this is kind of that thing again they're trying to do, but uh I don't know. Yeah, I, I like the world, though. I, I thought it, it the map flowed pretty well. There were times where like I feel like I was just crossing over to other areas without even noticing at times, and they kind of just meshed together in a way, and it didn't feel like they were separated so harshly like in other Metroidvanias. I don't know. I I, I thought it was well executed.
0: Yep, I, I thought that it was, too. No no really big complaints uh, from me about the world. I will say that I, I do have... Something that I, I think you're going to disagree with. And frankly, I think everybody's going to disagree with me. But I I wasn't in love with the music in, of this game. Like, at all, actually. Um, and I was surprised because I thought that really? the music of Axiom Verge 1 was awesome. And actually, I think that the theme that plays in the lake is awesome in this game. But, like, there's there's there was a track in Axiom Verge 1. I think it was in the ku area where, like, the, it had the, uh, I, I don't know, the Duminal is out there somewhere. He knows a technical term for this. But, like, you know, kind of like the uh, the Arabic-style vo- like vocals yeah. that played during that? And that was great in that one track in that game. Whereas in Axiom Verge 2, I feel like every area has that. Like, almost every area. And to me, it, it, was, it was too much of a good thing. Um, I, I think that you could have had, like, just a little bit less of that and maybe a little bit more. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say distinctive because I think that the music of the areas is, is distinctive. But then when you have that same kind of vocal presentation, it, it to me, it kind of like melded them together a little bit, I guess, for lack of a better word. So I've seen people like universally praise the music and I guess there's just something wrong with me, but like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as in love with it as everyone else was. And I think it also stems back to, like, the very first song that you hear is, like, this uh, really upbeat, video gamey kind of uh kind of a thing. And, like, for me, when my expectation... Is, and this is probably my own fault, but when I'm just like, yeah, this is, like, a quasi-Metroid game. And, like, Metroid has that brooding, dark theme that we know opens up all the games. And you've got this theme, and it's like... it's like... Okay, well, bro. That's, that's what Metroid Dread
1: here. sounds like, and you like that. <laughs> that's literally what Dread sounds like. No, Dread. Bro, that's dread, dread is dread like tense. Way. It's like that is Dread all the I, way. Don't make me do the Metroid dread, dread, dread thing here. All... What do you think of the music? Uh I think I agree and disagree. On one hand, I definitely remember areas that don't have those vocals, so I won't say every area has them. But like the first, um, I definitely remember like the first music i think i heard even on like the glacier area still it it sounded like a mario like desert level like it was so it just yeah it felt so video gamey and whatnot and i was like okay this is weird like, it didn't feel like it fit the aesthetic whatsoever but then like you get a little further uh i want to say it was around that same area and then like it was kind of more of a vibey kind of like lo-fi beat like almost not lo-fi but like it had that kind of like instrumental beat to it, it kind of had like a fendrana drifts or Fendrano-like depths, you know, kind of uh, feel to it, where it kind of built on, like, the snowy theme and, and had a little bit of a bop to it. Like, that I really liked. Then you got to, like, the vocal area. I thought that was good. And then, like, there was another song nearby. That, like, the first vocal track you get, I think, in the, the mountain area. And that was kind of, I was like, eh, on it. It was inconsistent. At times, it does feel very video gamey and chiptoony. And I thought the vocals were good. I, I I thought they were I, maybe I haven't gotten to the point in the game where they're overused, but I thought they were pretty used uh, reasonably in the game so far, and were a welcome addition. Other times it's video gamey, other times I think they hit that, you know, or he, or, you know, the the game hits that that balance of a good like, like I don't know, not ambient, but a nice background track, but also has that like Metroidy like electronic kind of beat in the back that kind of keeps you moving forward at times. So, I don't know. I like the music so far. I wouldn't say there's a super standout track, though I can hear that one track in the mountain area with the vocals, and I like that track, but I can hear that in my head. I don't know if it's because it's memorable because I enjoy it or because <laughs> I heard the vocals so much <laughs> that it's burned into my head yeah, now. I think that's like so, the worst <laughs> one. I don't know.
0: Ugh. Uh, I, I think that the track that plays in the lake is like the best yeah yeah that one's i guess to the game's credit i can i can hum that one like off the top of my head Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i don't like i don't dislike the music but it wasn't i just saw like people everywhere being like oh man this is awesome like and it just uh i i think i prefer the music of the first game which i guess goes back to my point that i was making at the top of the show just kind of to wrap things up here and in conclusion we're like i i like a lot of the things that the second game does i respect the game for for being different, but I just like the first game more. Like, I like what that game did more. Um, I I like the alien world more. I like the combat more. I like kind of the more straightforward story a little bit more. I think that... uh, I I don't know. maybe, Maybe I just had, like, the wrong set of expectations for this game because we were told, like, this is going to be a different game than Axiom Verge 1. And it certainly was. And so, like... I don't know if it's just that I was, like, such a big fan of the first one that I couldn't reconcile that. But I do like this game, but I, I don't like it as much. And and to kind of bring it all home, like what I was talking about at the beginning of the show, I, I think that I would say it, it's probably not as good in almost every metric to me. But I would still certainly recommend it to, you know, Metroid fans, anyone looking for just a solid Metroidvania or a solid video game to play
1: yeah this is again a game that i started playing i was like hmm you know i i this this is making me like enjoy that metroidvania you know thing again i don't know i just i i felt like i was maybe just not enjoying the genre as much as i used to but like when i started playing this game again i was like oh yeah this is hitting the spot this is this is the metroidvania that i'm looking for and i think it does really well like it feels like a metroid game it really does and it came in with like a really cool setting and, and set up to a story that i've enjoyed. I think the gameplay feels very, you know, uh, you know, gives you a lot of creativity, opportunity for creativity and freedom. It doesn't just feel like, all right, i'm spamming guns at enemies until they die, i guess. Like i like some of my favorite metroidvanias have more of that melee kind of combat to it, so i like that this game that has that similar kind of stuff i like the skill tree the graphics are awesome i think the music's pretty solid overall um yeah i mean this is a game that i am surprised that i'm enjoying it as much because i unlike you i didn't like i wasn't like anticipating the game very hard i thought axiom verge was cool and i was like all right you know whenever this game comes out it comes out and i i feel like i'm enjoying it more than the first game and i don't feel like i like really ever was like oh i gotta continue playing axiom verge i kind of just played the game and and you know i finished it this game and like well I, I would pick it back up again to like continue playing it but i was like oh i can't wait to keep playing it more not that not to like kick on the game's credit i think Ax- axiom verge is still you know a very very good game and i enjoyed it a lot but this game i, I finished playing it, and i was like damn i wish i had more time before the show to keep playing more of it and i can't wait to play more of it later in the week because I because uh, I'm enjoying it a lot and I want to see you know where where the story goes where the game takes me so I would definitely recommend it as well I just wish it was on Steam and not the stupid Epic Game Store but you know whatever we got to make sacrifices got to make compromises these days
0: I, I want to say that Tom Hap tweeted out that he had an exclusivity deal with Epic Game for maybe like a year. Something like hey, that. Hey, you know, get that bag, um,
1: man. I'm I'm not mad about it. I bought out Epic Store, you know, it is what it is.
0: By the way, uh, speaking of, if anybody wants like the collector's edition of this game, it is absolutely legit. There's like action figures, there's maps, there's CDs. It's one of the coolest collector collector editions that I've seen in like a long time. And I and I think that pre orders are still open from limited run games if you're into that kind of thing. Um but yeah, this was like a badass collector edition. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, it's not funny. I would have thought going into this that I would have been kind of championing Axiom Verge 2, and you would have been just kinda of like, eh. And uh I wouldn't say the roles are quite reversed because I I do really like Axiom Verge 2, but maybe you know, as not to beat a dead horse, just not as much as the first one. Funny how that works. Hmm.
1: That's what that's what uh I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. That's what makes it, I I think, a successful game. Because you get some differing opinions and different reasons why you like it. And uh, who knows? Maybe it'll win you over over time. Maybe you'll go back to it and appreciate it. Yeah,
0: I don't think it needs to win me over. It does. It needs to
1: win you over, Andy. That's important. That it wins you over. No, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see.
0: I hope that we're playing Axiom Verge 3 some in a sooner time frame than we were uh axiom verge 2 from axiom verge 1 that was yeah. like man that was like six years which i guess like to be fair that's one guy making it so of course that's going to be a long time but uh man can we, we can we give this guy can we give tom Hap some a second pair of hands here to help him with some of this stuff so we can get yeah did he make axiom this game
1: himself again the whole thing
0: i think so because yeah.
1: i you know during the show i, I mean like, obviously like him, some them? other
0: people chipped in in certain areas okay. but
1: you need to just hire a whole team somehow i don't know how game development works <laughs> i'm sure that's, i mean it's very expensive to hire people i'm sure if you don't have the resources to do so and like whatnot but uh yeah give this give, we need this guy to get we need him a team a studio or something i don't know
0: yeah well, you know what and for anybody that because i don't know when we'll talk about axiom verge again Uh, anybody out there that has not seen the IGN documentary, the making of Axiom Verge, do yourself a solid and check this out. Cause Tom Happ, the creator of Axiom Verge is like uh, an incredible dude. And his story is something else. Like, you know, he has a a special needs son. He has this, this really, uh, contract gone awry with uh, a a video game publisher who basically kind of tried to swindle him. it's, It's an incredible story. So I would encourage anybody to go and, uh, check that out. And I would also encourage everybody, if you're listening to this, to uh, to head on over to Twitter. We asked a couple days ago now, uh, what is the next area that we should cover for Mapping Metroid? We're taking fan requests, and I think right now, the two frontrunners are both from Metroid Prime 3. We've got Skytown, Town, we've got Brio kind of competing for uh, the next Mapping Metroid. So let us know which one you'd rather see, because I'm... Frankly, I'm down for either of those.
1: Anything from a Metroid Prime game, I'm totally down for. So, yes. Uh,
0: well, we uh, we hope that you guys were down with this episode. Uh, check out Axiom Verge 2. It's on Epic Games. It's on Switch. And I think it's on PS4, PS5. I could be wrong. But, uh, you know, it's on Switch and, and your PC. That's all you need to know. Go check it out. It's a, it's a really fun game, good time, and a, a super solid entry into the uh, growing Inspired by Metroid catalog we've got here. Uh, We are going to get out of here. It's pushing midnight for Dak, and uh, my dog, as you've been able to hear this whole episode, is going nuts upstairs, so we're going to go to bed. Uh, But we want to encourage you guys to uh, check us out over on Twitter, at Spateri316, at DakCity underscore, and, of course, at Omega Metroid Pod. And check us out wherever you get your podcasts, you know the drill, like, and subscribe. Uh, We will see you guys back here next week with, hopefully, some Metroid news from the Game Awards. Until then.